What's going on, y'all? My name is Eric. Good to be with you guys today. How you guys feeling tonight? Good, good. Man, it's always good to worship alongside you guys, but today is extra special uh, because today we're going to see, um, really, uh, we're going to hear the word of God preached, the gospel preached, but then we're also going to see two illustrations of the gospel message tonight. You see, when Jesus was on this earth, he gave the church two ordinances, two uh, living, breathing pictures of the gospel, and those two pictures are baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we're going to experience both of those tonight. Right, we're going to take the Lord's Supper remembering and proclaiming Jesus Christ's death and resurrection until he comes. And then tonight we have people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and they are declaring that publicly uh, through the act of baptism. So I'm excited tonight. Are you excited? Yes, man. Uh, but before we get to all of that, man, we are going to um, we're going to eat the main meal. We're going to head to the word of God. And so let's go ahead and do uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, go ahead and head there. Uh, I'm going to read this uh, passage from the top, and then we are going to pray for the Spirit's help to understand it and apply it. And then after I pray, we're going to dive into the text uh, tonight. So 1 Corinthians 8, the whole chapter, uh, let's go. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagine he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But anyone, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some through former association with idols eat food as really, uh, as, as, as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray together tonight. Uh, Father, we are here tonight. We've trusted and believed in you. We are here tonight because we have been shaped by the gospel. That we were once completely far off from you, and you brought us near through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you are now sanctifying us. You are now conforming us to the image of your Son. So, Father, I know you shape us not just in the, as individuals. You shape us as your body, the church. And, Father, I pray that we as a church, that we as NBC Arlington, that we would declare the oneness that your church should declare Shape us from being people so fixated on our own rights and shape us as people filled with love for one another, 
filled with love even towards those who might disagree with us. Father, I pray that we in that will shine like lights in this dark universe during a time in which we go out of our way to point out division. We go out of our way to point out disagreement. We go out of our way to separate ourselves from others. I pray that when the world peers into NBC Arlington, that the world will see a united church. And then they would ask, how can that be? And we can declare it's because of the unifying message of the gospel that unites us. Father, help us. We can't do that alone. Only you can do that. And so we submit to you. We trust you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, listen, nothing can cause a car ride to get more intense than when you have differences in in opinion about how to get somewhere the fastest. You might look at me and you might say, Eric, that's been solved. We have GPS. GPS handles all of that for us. And I would say to you, no, that's not the case. That's not true. That's wrong. And let me tell you why. Because GPS apps don't always have the same idea on how to get somewhere else the fastest. I know this. Let me give you why. I remember a time in which I'm running late. I hate being late. We're running late. We're in the car. We jump in. And my wife and I, we both type in the address and the GPS to our destination. As we're driving to the destination, my wife is telling me to turn a certain way, and my GPS is telling me to turn the opposite way. And so, uh, like a horrible husband, I I say, hey, baby, I'm not going your way. I'm trusting my GPS. That's the way that I'm going. So I do all of that, and after realizing that my GPS is taking me uh, through some weird turns, I realized that my GPS had different settings than my wife's. Both GPSs were aimed at the right location, however, They had different ideas of what was the fastest way to get to that destination. One of the GPSs or both had different settings, same destination, different ideas on how to get there. And I share all of this to share this. Each of us has a GPS. And I'm not talking about the GPSs in your phone. Each and every single one of us has an inner GPS, and their inner GPS is called your conscience. Uh, Today, we are in the second week of a series titled All in Good Conscience. We began last week, and I want to invite you guys to go back to the sermon that Pastor David uh, preached last week, because in that sermon, he really laid out what the conscience is and why it matters, and he gave us this simple definition to the conscience. He says, the conscience is your sense of what you believe is right or wrong. Your conscience is that sense in you of what you believe is right or wrong or wrong. You see, that conscience that's in you is our inner GPS. The conscience helps us determine which way that we should go uh, in our lives. And so last week, he talked about how the conscience is personal, how, how, how there's no two consciences that are completely the same, how your conscience is imperfect, it can change, and how it needs to be calibrated to align with the Word of God, and it needs to align with the Spirit of God. And we need to humbly live among people in selfless ways, listening to one another. But then also he talked about last week of how uh, a good and clean conscience is possible and critical to our intimacy with God and is possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That ultimately Jesus is our only hope to have a good and clean conscience. And then he closed last week giving us two questions Two questions that we have to consider if we want a good, clean conscience. I'm going to put these on the screen. He said these two questions, if you missed last week's sermon. He says, what does the Bible say? 
So whenever God's word is spoken clearly, we need to align our conscience with what God has said. But then on the issues in which the Bible hasn't spoken clearly towards, here's the second question we should ask ourselves, and that's this. What does the Bible say, and then what does my conscience say? You see, where do I sense as best that I can based on God's word and the leading of God's spirit? Where do, what do I sense that I should think or do or desire in any particular situation? And here's the thing. Let me tell you guys, those are two good questions, but we can't stop as the people of God at those two questions. Because hear me today, it's possible to ask yourself those two questions and live a life far short of the life that God calls us to together as the people of God. I'm going to take some time explaining that, and I'm going to explain that from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm certain that these two, um, the, these two factions that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, they've asked themselves those two questions I just named. I think they've asked themselves, what does the Word of God say about this? They've asked themselves, what does their consciences say about this? But the issue for them is this. For many of them, their consciences are telling them different things about a particular topic. And these differences and convictions were causing divisions within the church, whereas Jesus' call for that church and our church today is unity. And so in this passage, let me break it down for you really quick. I got to give you some context before we dive into it. The divisive issue in this text was meat being sacrificed to idols. You may look at that thing and you might be thinking, Eric, I have no clue. That does not relate to me at all. I feel you. Because when's the last time that any of us have gone to Harris Teeter, we've gone to the meat section, we pulled out the center cut of meat, and our first thought was, I wonder if this thing got sacrificed to an idol. None of us thinks that. This is an issue that we don't think about today, but it very was real, and it was an issue for the church at the time. Because let me explain to you this fact. Uh, the Corinthian church, they weren't perfect. They were people from all different walks of life. It was, a, it was a really diverse city. Think D.C. A people from different areas, Jewish people, pagan worshipers, all these different people and different backgrounds. And the power of God reached the city of Corinth, and it saved not just one specific group of people. It started saving all specific. It started saving all kinds of people. So we see all these people from the disparate um, uh, uh, areas of life, they're coming together, um, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, and coming together, and say, they're saved, and they're united at one church. But then this issue of food pops up. People are arguing what to do about this food sacrificed to idols. You see, background, Corinth was a city full of temples, and these temples were the center of social life. So forget, if you know about Arlington, listen to me, forget about the club, uh, forget about Northside Social, forget about Rest in Peace, Clarendon Ballroom, forget about Don Tito's, uh, forget about uh, the gym or CrossFit. It was the temple that was the center of community life. The temple was where it was at. And it wasn't just religious things that were happening at the, at the, at the idol temples. There were banquets being, uh, that were happening. There were celebrations. There were social events that were happening there too. But also, the temple was the place where meat was produced. See, most of the meat, meat was a delicacy. It wasn't like you can go to the store, go, go to a Wendy's and grab a burger. Meat wasn't something that people ate on the regular. And most of the time in which people, when they ate meat, they got it from the temple sacrifices. 
You see, this meat, these animals were butchered by the temple priest, and some of the meat was offered to a pagan god, but then the leftovers, there was a couple of things that was done with the leftovers. For some of the leftovers, they were used to, uh, um, some of the leftovers were served to eat meat at the temple. So picture a temple and then picture kind of like a Brazilian steakhouse connected to the temple. (laughs) Right? So pretty much like the meat they were left over with, they would cook it and people would have celebrations and uh, they would have social life around meat at the temple. But then some of the leftover meat, it wasn't cooked at the temple. It was sold to the marketplace where people could buy, take it home, and eat it for themselves. And so all of that to say, the issue at hand in 1 Corinthians 8 is this question. Is it okay to eat meat in the temple of an idol? If you get invited to a birthday party at the temple, you get invited to social hour or happy hour or a birthday party at the temple, is it okay for you to go? Is it okay for you to eat the meat? We don't have this issue today. I already said I get that. But the particular way, listen to me, that Paul answers this dispute will help us in the many disputes that we experience even in the church today. Let me name you a few. Here's a few that weren't relevant in Corinth but might be relevant today. Here's one. Should I get the vaccine or not? What are good eating habits? What kind of diet should I be on? Should I eat meat or not? Should I drink alcohol? And if I'm allowed to drink alcohol, uh, does it matter where I do that? What should our parenting philosophy be? Should we, what kind of discipline should we have for the kids? What kind of school should it be in, public or private school? So many other different things that we can think about in regards to these topics, even questions regarding debt. Can I have debt? And if I can have debt, what kind of debt should I have? A whole bunch of different questions that are relevant to us today. But here's the thing. This is what I want to encourage you guys with today. Look around the room. If it's the case that nobody's conscience is the same, you can rest assured that whatever the opinion that you have about the topics that I just named and then some, there is somebody in this room that feels just as strongly on the opposite end of the aisle with you. And the question that we should have tonight is this, how do we relate to one another? Do we allow those divisions to separate us? I don't think so. Here's where I want to go tonight. Issues of the conscience do not have to be occasions for division, but opportunities to show the unifying, the unifying power of the gospel. Guys, whenever we experience division within the life of the church, our um, impulse is to separate ourselves, to get in little circles with people who look like us, with people people who believe like us. But no, those differences in opinions are opportunities for us to show the world the unifying force of the gospel. And so with all of that said, I want to give tonight two statements that I want to flesh out tonight to help us understand and unpack that statement. And then I want to give you a couple of encouragements tonight as well as we talk about this issue of the conscience. So here's the first thing I want to give you tonight. If you have uh, writing utensils, I want you to go ahead and write this down. The shared goal of Christians everywhere is the glory of our one true God. The shared goal of Christians everywhere. If you are a believer in Christ, this should be your goal. The glory of the one true God. We all share the same goal, and it's to glorify the one true God. Here's the thing. We're going to come back to verses 1 through 3, but I want you to skip down to verse 4 in your Bible. See, here's Paul trying to help them navigate on this thorny issue. 
And so here he's laying out, he starts off by laying out what the church in Corinth can all choose to agree on, regardless of their backgrounds or walks with life. He says in verse four, he says, we know that our idol is real, uh, has real existence, and that there is, look at this, there is no God but one. So he's saying here straight up, he says, listen, whatever side you're on, either even if you're on the side of eating food offered to idols or whether you're not, hey, listen to me, let's circle back to what we can all agree on. Let's start from there. There is no God but one. To be a Christian, I don't know if you know this, but listen to me, guys. To be a Christian means this, that you have left your idols behind. You see, we might not be in a town like Corinth a town in which people are bowing to physical idols. But here's the thing, before we met Jesus Christ, we bowed to idols all the same. We trusted things outside of God to give us a sense of significance, to give us a sense of worth. There were things in our life that we gave our lives to other than God. And when you trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, you said, hey, no, I'm coming to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting you with my very life. You are Lord. So we share this opinion that there is no God but one. But here's where I'm going with this statement. Here's is where I want to come to your neighborhood tonight. In light of who we believe God to be, listen to me. When people think about the conscience, they typically think, hey, in light of who, God's, uh, who, in light of who God is, I'm free in Christ. And many of us take that to the extreme and we say to ourselves, well, we're free to do what we want. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago. Listen, when we talk about people in the body of Christ being free to differ on a number of different things, this should not be seen as the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Let me break that down for you. I say this because when we think about the conscience, too many of us, we think in this way. Okay, freedom in Christ means that I can do whatever I want to do as long as I don't feel bad about it. But I want you to pause there because that is not the best way of thinking about this because listen, the fact that your conscience is telling you to don't do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are free to do that in the moment. The fact that your conscience is not telling you that this is wrong could actually be an indication that your conscience no longer functions properly. Let me give you an example. I have a good friend who pledged for the fraternity uh, Omega Sapphire, otherwise known as the Q-Dogs. I don't know if you've heard about this fraternity, but if you've watched Stomp the Yard, it's something like that, right? And so Omega Phi Psi, they, they have this practice, everybody doesn't do it, but they have this practice of branding, right? And it's just like what it sounds. There's this iron that is in the shape of the Greek letter Omega. And if you're a game, I told my friend that he's crazy for doing this, they will warm up that iron, they will brand of the skin so that your skin will scar in the shape of the Greek letter Omega. And it's crazy, man. I saw the scar on my friend's arm. It's shaped like the Greek letter. And he was telling me how, listen, man, when you touch it, he doesn't even feel anything there anymore. See, the spot in which his flesh was seared by that iron uh, no longer responds to the sensation of touch. And the reason why I shared that is because um, not only can skin be seared, the scripture says that your conscience can be seared. We actually see this in 1 Timothy 4, 2. It talks about a seared conscience. Now, let me tell you what a seared conscience is. 
A seared conscience is a conscience that has been ignored and disregarded so many times that it no longer responds the way that it should anymore. Like my friend's tattoo, it no longer responds when it should respond. And this is the idea of I'm free to do what I want to do as long as I don't feel bad about it. Because the fact that you don't feel bad about something is not necessarily an indication that you're free to do it. It could be an indication that you've allowed yourself to continually do something that your conscience has completely said that it's wrong, that your conscience no longer fires anymore. That your conscience is seared. And I shared all of that to share this. Our ultimate aim is not to simply do what we feel like our conscience allows. Here's the thing. Our ultimate aim is to live for the glory of God. That's freedom. That's freedom. Look at verse 6. It says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, everything that's been created. And then it says, and for whom we exist. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, we the church, the people of God, we've been united from different backgrounds of life, and we are together, and we exist. Why? For God. For his glory. Keep going. And it says, and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So ultimately, we exist for the glory of God. How? Because we've been called together as the people of God through different walks of life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The reason why we can all sit in this room together and have differences, the reason why we can sit in this room together and have differences of opinions of a host of topics is because we've been united by the most, the greatest unifying force in the universe, and that's the gospel. Now, one of the things I love about our staff team is the current makeup of our staff team. I love this because I I love that there is no place that you will see on planet Earth where you have a uh, a 36-year-old black man from South Norfolk, Virginia. And Joe, I ain't going to oust you about your age, but a 50-something-year-old white dude from rural Texas come together and love, even though there may be issues that we disagree about. And the thing that unites us together in this relationship of love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world should be able to appear to the church, and we should be able to say to them that the reason why we're together is nothing else than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be the gospel plus something that unites us. And that wasn't even in my notes, man. Let me keep on going. But to be a Christian is this, that we've decided that the destination that we have plugged And to our conscience, our inner GPS is the glory of God alone. That is what we live for. And my prayer for us as the people of God is this, is that that is your goal. I pray that you are living your life for no other reason is to give God glory. Because here's the thing. When you live your life for the glory of God, there is no greater joy. You think you can get more joy by living life for your own glory. And let me tell you from experience, living life for your own glory will leave you you a depressed and angry and envious and jealous individual. But when you live life for the glory of God, for the very thing that your heart has been searching for, for the very thing that you've been created for, you'll begin to experience the fullness of joy. So our shared goal is living for the glory of God. Here's my second point that I'm going to give you today. So I said our shared goal is the glory of God. Here's point two. In specific decisions, in specific life decisions, Christians may have different routes towards that goal. 
In specific life decisions, Christians may have different routes towards that goal. Eric, what are you talking about? It's similar to what I said earlier. You know, we're in the car. GPS is telling us to go opposite directions, but we're all headed towards uh, the same goal. Something similar is happening here in disputable matters. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, however, not all possess this knowledge. You see here, he's moving away from that knowledge that we were talking about earlier. See, he's not talking about knowledge of our goal, knowledge of our destination, knowledge of our foundation, our shared belief in Jesus Christ. No, he's talking about matters of conscience in verse 7. Because there were different perspectives in the church about whether or not they could eat meat. So it says, keep going in verse 7, it says, But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. See, in other words, there were Christians in Corinth who said, hey, listen, my past life, I used to eat the meat at the temple, and I used to do it as an act of worship to those idols. Now, and then those people are like, yeah, I know God is one. I know that God is, and I know that the God I worship is, is one, and that idols really don't exist. But I can, my conscience won't allow me to go to the temple and do what I once did before. But then there were other people in the town of Corinth. There were Jewish believers who had never eaten meat at the temple, sacrificed to idols. So for them, their conscience was free. They're saying, hey, listen, I'm going for, for a social event. I'm grabbing some steak. I'm grabbing some hot links. I don't see any problem with that. It's not worship to me. And do you see what's going on here? Two believers who have very different convictions on a disputable matter. Both of these believers are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Both of them, their aim, to, their aim is to please the Lord, as the Apostle Paul said. Both of them are searching the scriptures, trying to understand what God has said to them and, and, and what God is encouraging them to do. And both of them are trying to listen to their conscience. And one person's conscience says, I can't do that. And another person says, yes, let's go. Now, here's the thing. We have similar issues, too. I've named a few, but let me say these again. You can actually have two people in the body of Christ and one person's conscience says, hey, I'm going to go get the vaccine. And one other person says, no. You can have two people in the body of Christ and one conscience says, alcohol is something that I can enjoy in moderation. And another person says, no, I can't do that. My conscience won't allow me to do that. There's so many issues that we can talk about, whether that's political issues or uh, raising uh, kids or debt or even our entertainment choices. And there's this tension. And what typically happens in the body of Christ is that we begin to fracture and divide off of disputable issues. And by light of this, we're tempted to live together with people who all look like us and believe like us and think like us. And let me tell you today, homogenous communities don't demonstrate the unifying power of the gospel. I don't want to be in a church with everybody that looks like me and believes like me. <laughs> I mean, I do want to be in a church that everyone, where everyone believes like me. I want everyone to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit wants to shape us to be a diverse community united in the gospel. This means diverse backgrounds. This means diverse opinions about a host of issues. And so the question that we should have today is this. How do we unite when there's that tension? When there's that tension of differing beliefs. In light of my wife and I's car ride with the GPS, I'll give you that analogy. How do we remain in the same car when our GPS is telling us to go opposite directions? 
Let me give you two quick things, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then um, we are going to participate in baptism. So here's one thing I want to give you. Hold your convictions humbly in light of the gospel. Hold your convictions humbly in light of the gospel. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, guys, what he's saying here is that on disputable matters, on, on matters in which the Bible has not clearly said that we, that we should or should not do this thing, and there's a host of different opinions, here's the thing. The key is this. How do you hold your conviction? How do you hold your conviction? Guys, we live in a city. I know we're at Tyson's right now, and, and we're the Arlington campus. Long story. We're going we're gonna to move back to Arlington soon if, if you're new. But Arlington has the highest percentage, uh, percentage of people who have education beyond a bachelor's degree in the entire nation. And if there's a city in which knowledge can puff up, it's our city. It's Arlington. And not only knowledge about useless facts, but knowledge about our convictions can be something that the, 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 the enemy uh, grabs on in us. And puffs us up with pride. But Paul here is saying, listen, the key is how you hold your conviction. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know that you are holding your conviction wrongly when your conviction fills you with pride above your brother and sister rather than pointing you in love towards your brother and sister. Man, this is real, guys. We can easily hold views on secondary issues in ways that, we, that, that elevate us and make us feel like we're more enlightened and, and, and make us feel better than other people. We take our views, I don't know, on alcohol, and we can think, oh, that person that can't drink alcohol, man, that person is less enlightened than me. I'm free. Oh, that person that can't drink alcohol, you can point to someone who does every once in a while, that you can say, that heathen? Why are, they, why, why are they drinking that? There's a host of issues that we can have that we can grab onto our convictions and allow those to puff us up with pride. But here's the thing. We need to be humble because when we proclaim that we, live, that, that we've, that, that we believe in the gospel message, all we, can, uh, all we can be is humble because Jesus saved us irrespectful of what we did and what we believed. In the gospel, listen to me today, our gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ saved us while we were going the opposite direction. We had wrong beliefs, we had wrong behavior, we had nothing to offer God, and yet God reached down by his grace through the blood of his son, reached down and saved us. So there is no way that we could be humble in our vertical relationship with God and practice pride in, in our horizontal relationships with one another. The gospel produces humility in the lives of us. And listen, we're not just humble before him. You're not just humble before God. As I said before, this humility extends to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the second point that I want to give you tonight as I close. Uh, G, if you could come on out, brother. I want to give you this point. Here it is. So not only do we hold our convictions humbly, we live out our convictions carefully in light of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Look at verses 9 through 12 really quick. I'm going to read these really quickly for you. It says this. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating at an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I, I love this text because here, Paul is proclaiming something that feels a bit counterintuitive. It feels a bit counterintuitive. We tend to think that our, whatever our conscience allows us to do, we can do it. But freedom that God gives is not simply to do what your conscience allows. The freedom that God gives is the ability to refrain even when your conscience allows it. Why might you refrain from something even though your conscience allows you to do a certain topic? Why? Because the kind of people that the gospel shapes us into are not the kind of people who first ask, what can I do? The kind of people that the gospel shapes us into are the people who first ask, how can I love my brother and sister? We don't, just, we don't love our brother and sister when we use our freedom to encourage them to sin against their conscience. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. He's saying in this text, man, for those believers who, 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 who think that rolling to the temple to eat meat is okay, for them, and G, go ahead and come on out when you're ready. But those believers who think that rolling to the temple to eat meat is okay, for them to look at a person whose conscience don't allow them to do that, and to say, come on, man, you know that there's, no, that you know there's only one guy. Come to me with the temple and, and, and eat this meat. For, for, forget what's going on inside of you. What you're doing right there is you're sinning against that brother because you're teaching that person to ignore their conscience. And the more and more and more that you tell somebody to ignore their conscience, the more and more and more that you're teaching that person that their conscience is not something to be listened to, it's something to be ignored. And in that, you're harming your brother and sister in Christ. You see, what we must do is this, not to teach our brother and sister to ignore their conscience. We actually need to help our brother and sister inform their conscience. And the reason why that is so hard, listen to me as I close, is because it takes patience. It's easy in the moment to tell your friend to say, do this thing that I feel free to do, even though you don't feel free to do it. It takes sometimes a long time to help a person walk through the scriptures, to inform their conscience, to help them understand from the scriptures why they might be free to do something. And I love what Paul says here at the very end. He says, listen, I'm willing to give up meat completely if me eating meat might harm my brother and sister in Christ. That's how far he's willing to go, man. And, man, I looked at that. I'm like, listen, man, I love steak. I love meat a lot. Man, that's a lot for me to, for me to say I'm giving up meat completely, becoming a vegetarian. Paul is willing to go far to love his brothers and sisters. And my question for you today, how far, are you, how far are you willing to go? Your freedom of Christ is not something for you to flaunt in front of your brothers and sisters. No, your freedom of Christ is the occasion for you to live out the unity of the gospel, the fact that God and our God in heaven released the rights of heaven 
that came down to save, to save you. That's how much love he had for you. He places that same love inside each and every single one of us so that we might love each other and in so doing, display to the world the kind of love and unity that the gospel declares. And so as I close tonight, I'm going to go back to those two questions that I said earlier, and I want to introduce you to a third question that we should ask ourselves. Not only do we ask, when we think about our behavior, what does the Bible say? Yes, we ask that question. Does our behavior align with the word of God? We need to ask that question. Here's the second question. What does my conscience say? What is that sense in you that, 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 de- that determines right from wrong? What is that saying? But before you act, here's the third question. What will the effect of my behavior be on other Christians? How do we keep our brothers and sisters from sinning, from, str- from stumbling? How do we build up our brothers and sisters in Christ? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let's take a moment to pray. And after we pray, uh, let's take a moment to remember the shed, body of the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Uh, we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful that you take people from every single walk of life and you desire for worshipers for every single people group, every single part of the globe, all different cultures and backgrounds, you are able to save. And thank you so much that you are able to give us the strength and the power to be united as your people in a world filled of division. Father, we pray that this will be a body in which divisions do not divide us. That because we are united in our pursuit of your glory, that we are united in the fact that you are Lord, that we are united in our tethering to the word of God, that we are able to bear with one another and love with one another, even when we might have convictions that we strongly have and yet disagree with other people. Father, help us. We can't do this on our own. We need you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.